Sagamun has followed his own path, happy to acknowledge his influences, but at the same time perpetually declaring and redeclaring his independence. And perhaps it's this sense of independence that makes his poetry and his, and his persona so unique, so vibrant and full of vital energy. Perhaps it's this independence that led him to find in poetry a logical answer in a world filled with madness. Or as Joshua Becklin said in his preface to Roe, and referring to the famous lines in Salomon's poem, History, we had found in Salomon's work something both foreign and domestic. We had found in him something we seemed incapable of in the early 90s. There was humor and pathos. There was an unyielding imagination that seemed profoundly personal and politically particular, while still seeming oddly universal and cosmic. And always there was something unequivocally alive. Poetry is an act of necessity. So please, let's give a warm welcome to one of the great poets of our time, Mr. Tomas Adelman. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Vera. I'm immensely uh, honored to be here among you. The introduction was so beautiful. I hope only that my voice will survive because I have problem with my voice at the moment, and you won't meet, you won't see the collapse of one bone, you know. Um, I must say that I experienced the most generous America of anybody I know, you know, because this influence which comes then to another country and my many books that were translated, it happened because America was so generous to me and find, found, found me somehow, and, and this was how I could open also the door for my colleagues, my Slovenian colleagues. Strangely, at the moment, living Slovenian poets have more books published in the United States than German or Italian, which is in a way almost absurd because we are such a small community that it was all by a very generous acceptance uh, for our poetry. I will read from the book on the threats of wild game, which was written in 1976, so 35 years ago, uh, translated by Sonia Kravanka. From the quiet, you unfold the poppy and water from black hail the circle falls back, a pure word breaks through, annihilating all the windows. The clarity of the world is about to emerge, painful, yet joyous. Where do you come from, the happiness of the drop that the earth will absorb? Is Miru Spreshmak in Vodok? Is Chernet Puchapada Koknazai, Rebiesa Churchista Beseda, Kizmichi Savakna, Priparasa Yasnos Tsvata, Bulicha, Protokokod Vesela, Utkotsi Svecha Kaple, Kripopila Zemna. Heavenly shepherds, young men on the earth, where did you women hide as you fled into this tree? 
s tjerima peški, vantja na zemlji, kam so se skrila vaša rekleta, ki se nabegu v potrebu. Now I'd like to write something that would move up and down, would touch and undulate, fall as a feather falls on the bank and reflect the clear grace as Kate Jarrett's finger on the keyboard. I'm thinking of you, Eastock. I got scared. You're so frightening and powerful, too strong for me as I'm now here. I was looking at Kali and my son, these dreamlike bodies and Pleiada, they never meet with coarseness or harshness. These things don't exist for them. They're floating indescribably in this room, altogether bent and silent. Kali is fondling her cheek with her knee. Sonchak is now calm again. I'm rocking and nodding. I'm rocking and nodding and feeling the steps of Kali and Star, how they walk, how they slide in the earth, on skin, where each other disposal and Sonia is wisdom, the wrinkles under her eyes vanishing. Spiritus Mundi is a box out of which come also human legs. They lighten like erotica, like a trick. Spiritus Mundi is a trick a ribbon glue on a car's hood. I take a little broom and clean the god's eye. The yellow wound is not icy enough. During this dilemma, I lost 170 days before the gesture gathered a trench of sand. If any human had a hunch of how all my moves are uncounted, he'd break out in cold sweat. The dilemma was a blockade, my only true life. The 171st day, I no longer had any rights. I bowed down and entered the service again. A leaving of law of quiet avalanches. Hey, hey, Brand. Like a coon runs, like a grove kids visual by a path. It's going to snow. A whip cracks. I'm not the shepherd. A big bank is hypothesis. God pushes a coin into a slot. Our faces don't touch. We sleep with our profiles apart. I crashed there, you know, in the field where an elf on a sleigh is painted. A surge of the scent of daffodils. I'm concentrating an explosion. It unfolds like flower pollen. At that moment when the white parachute cuts through the air, where the night spills between one violet and another, a pike that hits granite in a silent film, when this sound remains behind, erased by my hand. World touch Venice. It's relaxing to stroll with a beautiful wife in grand hotels, shoving into the soft hands of Latin's bunches of money. The pillars of civilization are at rest. Marginal touches are legitimate. We ate honey, drank honey, thick wines, gold blood. 
We enjoyed watching ourselves in mirrors, making love, revel at the thought of all who would majestically touch us. These beings were hammered into sand, into us, for our glory, life. We walk into bloody grass. God knows whether night burns now, all of you in faraway places, who are in my service lie down on clench your teeth. You are my method, my task. Don't let me suffocate from the volume of the victims. Granaries have ripened wheat, but cloud hurries as it comes at the speed of mountains. Quiet time, a beast sleeps. My death is lifted. Beast, look, you're now, you're not making me dizzy. You're making a dangerous light bulb that two octosyllabics, but don't disperse yourself over the language. Don't disperse yourself with such a force that the language actually disperses itself. The language here is a very ancient clay. You're skidding the brakes, your hat, but you need no hat, because I'm directing this bright hallway. This ought to be the description of the situation, but that's not what this is all about. And yet, it is exactly what this is all about. Barley and elephant looking back at the mountain pasture, where he lay down on the ground with thunder. He didn't thunder. It is not accurate, what is it? Then the electricity collapsed. But where did it go? It went into Eastock. And how do women react? Just grab a microphone and ask them. They're falling down. They're confused and they cry so that you take your watch off your wrist. Ha! What did I miss? I wasn't late. Just a small chunk of life had exploded. At any rate, you rest with a woman at night and become human again. But as soon as you crawl back, yourself on mattresses, the earth again begins to be and change into flower. The flower cracks open and begins to bloom. But then you're so damn pure, you're so fresh. You're the flower, you're the earth, you yawn, you're the master. The women will no doubt cry again when reading this. But what am I supposed to do? Why do, I, why do they cry? Because I order them to become wet. Such a machine needs to be constantly lubricated because the glowing air may dry it out. I was debating if there was anything human about this. Is this something altogether inhuman? I came to a conclusion that this is something more inhuman than human. Yesterday evening, at the vanishing point of Barnett Newman's line, I was pulled under water. I swam back to the surface as a dark blue-green blossom. It's terrifying to be a flower. The world came to a halt. I bloomed quietly like velvet, as if forever. Before that, Tamar Brace and I talked about the mystery of monetary accumulation, about the I, about the triangle, about God, about the possibilities of reading, about chance, about solving history and fate. Do not touch me. The way I am, I'm the biggest asset. I'm watering which the world destiny is happening from all of us. I'm dizzy. I understand nothing. I know at night 
when I make love, I report. First I'm a black cubist, resembling marble or granite from a different world, then a bird perched on its yellow feet with a huge yellow beak and glittering black feathers, then a high church dignitary. That is to say, they all wanted to assault me, me the blossom, and a pure dark blossom, tranquil on the water's surface, untouchable and untouched, terrifying. Everything I saw, humanity may figure out. The thumb is now on a ring, on the ring leaves the bride's window. Shine dream, die sharpness, cherries decorated with sweaty forehead of a woodcutter. I gave her my black elder to drink. She dressed it, then pulled away from it and tossed it into the red spring. Me and the tiger, how we were carrying wine and bread to her. We barely passed the valleys in which factories were rising up. We lay on our bellies, altogether drunk, and a quail next to us was safe. Gobbling, gobbling, I yelled. Today we defy Solomon's eye. The tiger threw cherries at the train. She was rolling on its roof. Do you think that rivers were ever here? I asked. Clumsy guys. The woman is crying like a dragon because I'm a poet. No wonder. Poetry is a sacred machine, the lackey of an unknown deity who kills as if by conveyor belt. How many times I'd be damned if I hadn't kept cool taken it easy and been completely arrogant so I can with my own instrument blot my wings out. Fly, fly ahead, sacred object. That's not me. I'm reading the times and drinking coffee with workers in blue overalls. They too could easily kill themselves when they climb a pole to put up the electricity. Sometimes they do. Poets frequently kills kill themselves. Describe on a piece of paper, I have been killed by too strong a word. My vocabulary did this to me. So don't tell me these guys aren't clumsy. You find them in all professions. Any pedestrian can kill himself if he doesn't know what a crosswalk is. <coughs> Gone. You're stealing my language and paper. Work has become your body. I'm killing you, killing myself. I love you. I love myself. Give me a footbridge, lightning. I'm blind. I'm mute. I'm lying on sand, adorned with jewelry. You're under my fingers, under my fingers. A bunny will come hopping or a farmer rolling a, rolling a tire. I'll eat with a spoon. I'll always eat with a spoon. In the heavens, there are shock rooms and a flame that people blow and spawns. I'm your parallel man. I'm your parallel man. 
I'm anointing you so that nothing will be left with you, so that you'll be mine. Legendary is spacing between your thumb and middle finger, silent blitz when the thing falls. Why hasn't it yet? Why do you still hold me? I don't believe I'm mortal when I look at you, when I caress you, when I eat you. Right in bloom, I kill you in the air. I can't go past the law. It's not a place for me. You carry me in your arms, but I'm not your arm. I'm not your coat. I'm not your beast. Your teeth are my soul. I'm conversing with a dormouse. Between one love and another love, there is a woman whose face I've never seen. I'm unaware of it. Is Miru's Reshmak in Voda? Is Chernet Uchapade Krok Nazai? Prebiese Chista Besida, Kiznichiusa Okna, Priprawese Jasnos Cveta, Bolecha, Protokokud Vesela, Otkoci Sveča Kaple, Kjoj Kupila Zemla. From the quiet, you unfold the poppy and water. From black pale, the circle falls back. A pure word breaks through, a nulling of the windows. The clarity of the world is about to emerge, painful, yet joyous. Where do you come from, the happiness of the drop that the earth will absorb? So if you would, do me a favor, everyone, close their eyes for maybe like a couple minutes, okay? <laughs> Follow me here. All of us in this room are on plague grounds. Imagine that we are carriers of a malignant infection that mutates according to each person differently. Imagine now that this unseen infectious disease that you carry within you is representative of your own aesthetic value form. <laughs> What you consider, quote-unquote, interesting, latches on and proliferates all the way down through those whom we share the most contact with, students, academics, spouses, and of those who read our little viruses. Good old prize. <laughs> now, if you're having trouble with my little metaphor, ask yourself why. Shouldn't our writing seek to affect? During the Middle Ages, one of the main reasons for death in those who had contracted leprosy was not leprosy itself, but simple starvation. 
If we extend the metaphor to ourselves as carriers of subversive viruses, and writing as virus is both our source of nourishment and malignancy, then in the interest of preventing my colleague's starvation as well as my own, I'm here to introduce one who provides both. I recently was given an assignment from one of my professors to produce from contaminant air a personal manifesto. I want to thank Ronald Morrison for this inspiration. Imagine the surrogate authors we work through and the immaterial labor we build upon as internal and unseen symptoms of our personal contention. The outward symptoms of the man I'm here to introduce are as follows. He is an assistant professor at the University of Notre Dame, where he teaches American and Swedish poetry, modernisms, and translative theory. He is the author of five books, Dear Ra, A New Quarantine Will Take My Place, Pilot, Johan the Carousel Horse, and Entrance to a Colonial Pageant in which we all begin to integrate, and most recently, Hope Surveillance. He is the co-editor of Action Books and the online journal Action Yes, and he is the translator of multiple poems and works. And for his purpose for being here today, well, let me just say also that his critical and creative work explores genre, aesthetics, and the limits of autonomous text. He has written on subjects ranging from burlesque poetry to Sylvia Plath to translative theory. His writing is concerned primarily with, and I quote, the degraded and anachronistic, the trashy and the melancholic, even the poetic. His purpose for being here, he says, is to move through this sort of playground, forming relationships and connections. Um, so please join me in forming a relationship with Johannes Wurz. <laughs> Thank you all for coming. Thanks, Sandra and Ben. Thanks for Tomaj. It's great to be here. I was just kind of thinking I would read this thing first. This is a little excerpt from a story um, by this writer named Aylin Blokhoinicki. She's a, a Turkish woman who lived in Sweden. She's uh, one of my favorite young writers. Uh, really recently inspired me a lot, and she just died a couple of days ago. So This is from a, a retelling of Hitchcock's The Birds. I have nothing to do with birds. When the wind blows, I blow. I smoke in the garden with my dirty fingers. Her well-groomed hairstyle, cosmetic and nails sneak in the back way and hiss. I come here and search. She's so uncrazy that I become crazy when the wind blows, I blow. Women are always searching for something. That's why I'm not a woman. I turn the soil up and down, up and down until nothing happens. I live in Bodega Bay until nothing happens, then it happens. It's, it's, this, it's, it's this thing about being a girl. It's this thing about being a bird to sexlessly rush straight up in the sky and disappear into the shriek, to turn around but not to return. Right. <clears throat> and now I'm going to read... Um, Alright, so now I'm going to read from Hot Surveillance. This is kind of a, has kind of a narrative, not that important, but you should know that it's spoken by somebody who is in a kind of rehab kind of place. <laughs> Uh, and he shares a room with an ex-president who's kind of a W kind of figure. 
And he might be there because he might have killed the starlet. <laughs> and he's trying to teach Great Orion soldiers who are turning the Iraq war. He's doing a really bad job, so to lock him up. <laughs> Always remember the starlet as a mother remembers a child. Or how a father remembers his daughter when he's been tortured in a room for seven hours. Or as an entomologist remembers the different parts of the insect anatomy, even when his fingers are, get too clumsy to dissect the fetal pig. I remember the starlet in her fallen state, in a photograph on the third page of the tabloid paper. I remember her in my fallen state of anorexia, in my bang head while protesters hold up images of complicated bodies in the shining mansion on the hill. Father voiceover tells a story over the PA system. It's the story of how to dissect fetal pigs. He compares them to political prisoners. He declares the explicit purpose of my slapstick body is obscene. He's wrong. No children can be begotten from sticks. That's why he loves me. Also, my mother machine gun always carries me through the riots. Why I drink champagne out of her Hiroshima hands. It tastes like honey, but it's sweeter. Makes me nauseous in my entire sticky body. The last time I saw the starlet, she was in a pool on the news. The shot came from below. She was wearing white pearls. I was wearing white pearls. The last time I saw the starlet, she was a mute girl I had hired to convulse for this explicit purpose to bring the starlet back to life. My camera work was sloppy. My crashed out body was obscene and alarmed in every male part and every infantile spasm. I write this for the mute actress and the dead girls and the virgin father who speaks in this mausoleum and mother machine gun who carries my body through the tumultuous crowds, sticky and stricken out. I write this for people on posters. I write this for the breathers and bleeders. I write this with a geometry suggesting awkwardness. I write this as a punishment. I write this for those infested and luxurious and teeming. I write this for people who are at war. I write this from a hotel room and because I have a medical condition. The skin bleeds and pinches. It's a ridiculous death I'm living in. I live it ridiculously in an economy of trickle-down disease. Speaking of dead children, modern architecture makes me nervous. Speaking of dead children, Sometimes when I listen to the gates of New Jerusalem, I think I hear a trapped cat scratching wildly. Other times it's just me, I'm watching a TV show about a trapped cat. It's a sexual act, slang term. The act involves tattoos and cameras. Speaking of dead children, there's no place for immigrants in utopia and all filmmakers must be renounced. I could never grow up in a house like that, unless I was a dead child, an embalmed child, a child that never vandalized his own doo-wop body with surveillance equipment. I vandalized my doo-wop body due to my modest self-control. Call my line of work, hot surveillance. And whenever I look at resting photographs and absent in drawings, Insects are pumping their lancets in and out of my sore. It's an almost purple sore. It's a translation, pornography, a child's drawing. My preferred method of making art involves a torso. The best way to do it is with scissors, said my father in an interview about my pig killings. So I write this novel in Prince of Virgins. I write this novel in Prince of Virgins because they are occluded and spectacular. I write this novel in Prince of Virgins with strokes. I write this novel with pig strokes in fetal positions, with abortion movements. 
I write this in praise of virgins with a piece of colored glass. All of the foreigners were shocked because of their incestuous relationship on the set. All right, one thing is he's a filmmaker. <laughs> All the foreigners were shocked because of their incestuous relationship on the set. It was a horrible set. The blowtorch looked tacky and the walls were too soft. I don't ever want to go back there to see what happened in the heat and the way the confetti got so wet and the skin was so yucky. I was so blonde, I was your brother. This is the first lesson in haunt surveillance. Always write like you're a teenage virgin. Always reach for the gun. Of all the moves I made with the starlet, my favorite was our mumble version of Hiroshima Manamur. Or the Jacobean piece we filmed on the shooting range. The clothes I wore were positively repulsive by the time we were, he, she was finished with me. My body was covered with wax. I played the part of the wax figures. She played the part of the slaughter. It was also a mumble movie. It was hard to hear anything in the ricochet. Whenever I come to the soldiers' barrack, they're engaged in some kind of art production. Bodies in fetal lamb poses, for example, or snuff videos of daddy ouch ouch, it hurts. Corny dances like the hostage crisis, the twist, the pork out, the pile up, the photographs. They love to wear Mickey Mouse masks when they hurt each other like children. Don't pork me up, Mickey. I hear one man cry as I slam the door. I can't help them. I can just hope to contain them. I need to keep them apart from the anti-abortion protesters and the actors. Swine hunt, swine hunt, I hear from the inside as I swiftly lock the door. The ex-president wants everybody naked. And he wants no sound. It should be deaf in here, he says. And then he points out that there are stains on my clothes and that the letter opener is making an awful racket in my mouth. I'm a dangerous man when I get around the wrong instruments. Milk and blood, milk and blood, I think to myself. It's always this way after a riot. Sometimes when I'm melancholy, the ex-president draws a smile on my face with lipstick. <laughs> Except it's not a smile. Not even lipstick. Sometimes he cramps my throat full of foie gras. Makes me want to vomit. All that liver paste in my mouth. Makes me want to write emails to girls telling them, I'm sorry that I punched him in the face or the belly, but I don't. I chew the liver and I look out the window. The teenagers are being disgusting with their bodies again. <laughs> One of my youngest daughters is horribly pregnant. I think she accidentally licked a towel that my wife had been using to wipe herself after sex. Thus she receives contaminated sexual material. She has given birth to six babies and I fear the worst. I fear more, more on the way. This daughter goes by the fancy name, The World. <laughs> but we don't use that name. <laughs> the ex-president asks me why my writing is so full of hate, and I tell him, it's because I'm searching for the enemy. Here, um, you know what Cristal is? 
My, my real daughter's really love Lana Del Rey, and she's always drinking Cristal. So <laughs> we soldiers are drinking Cristal in our bathtub, wearing white bikinis. <laughs> they claim they're there to kill horses. They want my daughters to tell them about the desert, the one where people go to invent gods. Take us there, they shout, and they shake my daughter. She can't uh, speak, I explain. She's just a doll. But she can't close her eyes. One blink for yes, two blinks for no, three blinks for paradise. She blinks twice, blinks twice, blinks twice, as the soldiers drag her into the discolored bathwater. I will read a few poems from a new book that I've been, which is kind of a sequel, so it will sound like exactly the same thing, basically. <laughs> Except in this one, the speaker has left rehab and now uh, is in Los Angeles <laughs> and is looking for the, uh, the, kid, the real killer. And he doesn't have to deal with W anymore. Los Angeles tastes like iron in my mouth, and I blame my daughters, for I'm feverish, and they stand on the stairs and stare. They have soiled mouths and blue eyes. They're beautiful but disgusting because they break the shells and carry sunflowers, thousands of sunflowers. A daughter brings the inside outside and the outside inside. A wife sits on the sofa in the dark with mercury in her. I love my wife because of the side effects. I love my wife because the film has been poisoned, and she sealed it with a kiss, and she brings me tiny flowers with erect flower stalks and large seeds. She might die in the movies. She might make it until the enamel cracks. Might drive a car straight through the feminine body. Have you ever fallen in love while the city burned? Or when there were, t there were itchy spots on your body that bled? And don't tell me I'm, I have a hundred arms. Don't tell me I'm a sexist. I'm writing a book. I love the plastic chairs in which I sit. I'm buying them with spit. <laughs> this poem is called The Meadow. We live in the meadow, but, but it's a hotel. We pay for it. <laughs> we call it the meadow on account of the lamb masks, and because of the sweet-smelling girl bodies on the sidewalk, and because of my own tendency to affect the air of a shepherd. Even during a time of plague-like symptoms, I get murdered by the killer of little shepherds. Even during a time of war that piles up bodies in sublime numbers, I play the flute. Die, sunflowers die. The faces are somewhat disarticulated due to rat activity, according to the cops who study such things in order to solve murders. For example, the murder of a starlet who shot videos of me at the shooting gallery. That's me with a smeared fruit doing that thing with a doll mouth. <laughs> We're making history. We're using fucked up military time while the riots expire. Look how many bodies we can pile up. It's a national debt. One thing that happens in this book, the sugar book, is there are a lot of laws he's discovering. In the law, there's an image of me as nothing but myself, 
I look obese. I'm more than myself. I'm laying there on a mirror reading the law against the images of myself. I'm looking at myself. I look criminal with all this media on my face. Wiped powder all up in my nose and on my lips. Los Angeles invented this media to destroy bodies. Los Angeles invented bodies that it could not control, for they were driven by an occult force, fame. I invented my son to destroy Los Angeles. I run out of my son's room and bring the rain with me. The image is a flower that opens up in a drowning victim's mouth. If there's such a thing as poetry, it should taste like that flower. It should feel like water on one's naked skin, but it feels like a curtain instead. Sweaty, when someone has drawn lewd images on the velvet. Someone has cut a strip out of the stuff and stuffed it in my mouth. It tastes like victory. Poetry has to destroy Los Angeles. Poetry has to be Los Angeles, fat city. The wheels never stop spinning, the blood never stops circulating. It's like summer will never end. In the dark, we'll hear grasshoppers scratching their legs. Our daughters are all sleeping on Chinese beds. Like the damaged tool, I can't be of use anymore. I'll become an image of myself, or an image of a tool, a hammer that's supposed to be used to destroy icons, but it's cracked. Of course, it's also not at all like a tool, because I'm not a tool at all, I'm a cadaver. <laughs> Kill all the poets because they're rich. Or clumsy. This poem is called Berlin. Some say I'm an idiot. Some say I'm an idiot because I go night clubbing like a new person who is dead and young and totally covered in shock. I go, I have a virgin body. I go to the innocence riots with nose blood. I'm an idiot because I care. I'm a sexist because I love tits and I'm on television. Look, I'm white clubbing. I'm opening up an old wound with my gladiolus. I'm pretending that I know the way out of here. Poetry only leads us further into the cattle. Poetry gives us poisonous flowers, which we feed to the cattle. Poetry is swines that we feed pearls. How can we afford to write poetry while the corpses pile up in the streets? Poetry is playing with corpses. This one is called Foreign Current. Today my wife carved up a, carving up a rat brain and placing it on a glass pane and looking at it through her microscope. Today I think about the mouse who was stuffed in the movie about pol police violence. I think about the horrific close-up and they reminded me of when I was satanic for a few hours. Tomorrow I will find no leads so I'll bust out that mannequin in my living room. I'll fill it with sand and pubic hair. I'll use my cigarette lighter to melt the skin. My daughters will be horrified because they call it mother. <laughs> it's a male mannequin though, so I don't know why that would be. <laughs> Perhaps because it has no penis, but it doesn't have a vagina either. Perhaps that's why I have to burn it. Uh, we still can't figure out what to do with the body. My wife wants to restart the plague inside the auditorium. Sarah wants to remake Francesca Woodman with cocaine. I'll photograph both of them with my shitty phone camera, my camera. 
<laughs> I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what will you do with the camera that hasn't already been done with a fist, crime flower? <laughs> I know you think it's no longer feasible to make corpses in the, in the street, but I have no other choice. They're posing for me. Don't tell me it's pornography or tell me, or tell me it's pornography. Everything is porn if you look at it. Every corpse in the street is an image of itself. I'm shooting every one of them with my rifle. And the riot isn't even over. This hotel might just collapse because my wife and I are really siblings, and when we fuck, we fuck with the white race. We sniff cocaine with the white race, but we sniff it from Asian bodies, small-boned Asian bodies. Degeneracy is something that happens to white people in their art. We're so fucking skinny when we're white, we sometimes go backwards and become homosexuals or just choke in hotels. I'm so white, I'm your lover. You're so white, you're more beautiful than Nagasaki. The murder was based on real bodies, knocked out, but my immune system didn't recognize the foreign proteins. The riot was called the Deadly Feast. My son says, I'm going to get you with his mouth. He has a satanic glow, like he wants to masturbate the walls. Barbed wire shadows on his face. Silk is the most popular fabric in Los Angeles. White is the color of love. Um, <clears throat> Walking down an empty avenue lit by Christmas lights, I suddenly hear laughter. Soldiers are returning from the war. The children think they're joking, but they're really trying to kill each other with stakes. Who am I to stop them? I've been doing the same thing for years. <laughs> Further, the hemlines keep them all corrupt. <coughs> Further, the stains keep them real and kissy kiss. I think something is broken inside of me. I can't, I can see everything as clearly as a dissection. I predict that my teeth will be white as snow, that my lips will be flesh lips, that I will worship idols by masturbating into the refuse, that my sperm will do more harm than my mouth, that the masterpiece will be hauled into an emergency vehicle. I'm watching a film about crime. Don't cry, says the man. The tears might ruin the film. The horse might ruin your makeup. Like an idiot, I believe in cocaine socialism. Like a nightmare, I shine my shoes before the regicide. Thanks. <laughs> Okay, so uh, there are some books available, uh, and from the bookstore, Tomaj will be happy to sign up. Some of you brought books uh, already as well, um, and then you can get to your next spot. <laughs> uh, if people want to hang out and chat with Johannes for a bit, uh, just, just hang out, and we'll do that in about ten.
but that was like 10 years ago. That's so, awesome. Awesome. Maybe we'll, uh, Maj is still hanging out, but, uh, his ride is going to be here in a minute. Maybe we'll have a little, uh, yeah, let's just let's talk chat with Johannes. Uh, we're recording this stuff, so if you want to repeat your question in some okay. fractured form, that would work really well. Uh, but I'm going to say. Yeah, it's much better. Um, I guess I'm curious about the genesis of the kind of book and its sequel, kind of written in almost persona form. Did you come up with the idea? for that first? Did you start writing poems and realize, like, wow, these have a remarkably similar voice. Like, maybe I should make a character out of it. How did, how did that process work? Um, I, you mean, why, how did I, is this about, is this about, so I did write, like, I mean, I wrote poems and I realized I had a certain, that I had a certain that I was interested in a certain kind of, you know, voice or whatever you want to call it. And then I definitely, I mean, um, you know, like my first book, I, I, that uh, was just about stuff I was doing. Like I was 25, whatever. I had terrible relationships. I was doing drugs. So it seemed interesting enough. <laughs> and I pitched well with the boys. But now I'm like, oh, I'm, I figure I can do, I can invent things too. So I place them in this place, rehab kind of place. Though in retrospect, it's like a lot like University of Notre Dame. So. <laughs> Anti-abortion protesters, and have you. Uh, but I tried to come up with a story. But also, you know, I, I love novels, and like I love Roberto Bolaño's uh, stories that have all these crazy plots happening all the time. So I always start out thinking, I'm going to do a lot of plot. Yeah, do this and do that, and I, I get really bored with it, and then it doesn't have that much plot after all. It's just like that the, the person or whatever is saying. <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question. I have somebody has another question. <laughs> okay, so, like, how did like where you've lived and like, because you talk about Los Angeles and you teach at Notre Dame, like, how does where you are stationed like affect kind of like what you're thinking about, or like here? Because like, I, yeah, I don't know if you have lived in Los Angeles, because. Yeah, only in my dreams. I'm, I'm a European, and we are right too much. We've all lived in Los Angeles in our dreams. But I am really affected by plays. I'm an incredibly sensitive person. It took me a long time to realize that. That I'm just like uh, when I leave my house, I become a mess, and so like, <laughs> you really just stay inside. But uh, but even more so when I go places, I become a, so a lot of this book. Uh, it's actually influenced when I went to Korea, which is like the weirdest place in the, place in the world, uh, and also most beautiful and have the strangest poets. So Los Angeles is a little bit Korea, but it's also a little bit Stockholm, or, you know, like I, it's a lot of different places. Los Angeles can be every place, right? That's its great charm with the movies or its curse. And the way I write, too, is I kind of write over in layers. So sometimes I might be writing something when I'm in South Bend, or I might be in Korea, or I might be in Sweden writing something. So, uh, like Sarah lives in Malmö. She doesn't live in Los Angeles, but she shows up. And 
Francesca Woodman only lives in books these days. My place on Mary Hodgson comes by that, just by my just inability to, my clumsiness as a parent. Thank you for Yeah, now it seems reductive. Um, I guess I just noticed this, um, this really, this interest in the body as being um, uh, introverted versus extroverted, and it's sort of led my thinking as um, you just have this profusion of imagery of things going into the body or things coming out of the body, and the um, method of the body to do both of those things. And I just wondered if um, I mean, there's really no like specific question. I just really find that interesting um, and and relevant to just a close personal. Um, dialogue with, with poetry as, as a labor of the hand and, and all this other stuff. So I just, I wonder. Yeah, I mean, I told him that's what that, that a lot of them are about, a lot of it is about, it's about um, how the body becomes intersected by media in different ways. And that could be the media of like the toxins that we're all constantly breathing and eating and uh, whatever else. Um, or it can be like television or poetry and, uh, you know, I, we lo people love to present poetry as this very uh, space outside of that, a place of, like, of escape or a place of critique. We can stand and critique society, but I've never been interested in poetry like that. I'm more of like a Shelley, Shelley school of poetry. I throw myself on the thorns of life, I believe. Um, <laughs> uh, that has always interested me. Um, you know, and um, that seems to be that's a lot of what I'm interested in, so that's absolutely correct. A plus. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we, a lot of times uh, we, we think of artifice also as something that is like unbodily, which I think is so stupid because art, what artifice does is it acts on the body. Uh, so it's not at all like this simple binary between the real bodiness and then the cold artifice. Artifice is always jamming things into the body. Uh, on the other hand, I'm always re I'm like really perplexed by people who think the body, like it's not writing the body, and that that becomes like a great thing. Uh, if you can write the body, it's like something inherently progressive about that, which I think is crazy because my body's telling me not progressive things at all, all the time. <laughs> like there's, a part, there's a part in the Sugar Book, one of the most important parts is he sees this book by Francesca Woodman, it's like, I want to masturbate. It's like, that's wrong. You're not supposed to masturbate on Francesca Woodman, it's high art, you know? Yeah. Um, like stupid things like that, and the body tells me stupid things all the time. So. <laughs> trouble a lot in my life uh, 
this. Anybody who has an accent in like Middle America will know that it will get you into trouble just walking down the street. Uh, so I feel like, yeah, maybe my performance is like sort of about driven by kind of self-hate. Something like that. Um, thanks for that question. <laughs> I hate to, to bring you down. <laughs> Could you talk a little bit about genre and uh, you, I mean, I know the books, but uh, you sort of said, well, this next poem is called this, and these are novels, like, just where, where is the, what are you doing with genre? Um, I am really interested in genre. I feel like uh, a lot in contemporary literature, people, that's an ugly word, genre, they want to be free from genre, you want to be free from conventions, you want to be free from everything, you're not free. And they like, what kind of joke is that? <laughs> Nobody's free. Give me a break. You know, uh, um, so I have W in there. But, so, but I am really interested in it, too. Uh, as I said, like, I love Bologna, and I love how he does with genre. He takes a kind of Lovecraft story, and it makes it about, you know, exiles in Chile and exiles in Spain or something. Uh, and I just how I hate my own voice and, I, and I'm attacking my own voice, I also feel like genre can work like that. It can be a place that pushes against you. And I wish I could write Lovecraft stories. And I wish I could write detectives, like murderers, like you know, Swedish crime novels pay up really well. That's like a, that's a genre, that's like my national genre. That's my nation's genre, it's crime novels, even though there's no crime in Sweden. <laughs> So a lot of both the Sugar Book and Hot Surveillance started out, and I was going to sell out. I was going to write a crime story. I was like, "What is like the most awesome crime story? The Starlet is dead, and then like, then that I couldn't stick to the genres. The, sort of, I guess other genres came in, like uh, body possessed by media or uh, or so the self hating voice, and they wanted other things from me. Uh, but yeah, I am really interested in genre and uh, a lot of my poetry is influenced by that kind of stuff. Uh, I really love big movies, like really shitty movies. Um, I wrote are just bad, you know. They really wear their genre and it's on the sleeve. And, and one thing I'm really interested in is, 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 in, is in Holocaust kitsch or atrocity kitsch, which is really interesting to me that has such a central part in our culture. Uh, and we should never think like Sylvia Plath talking about the Holocaust to, I don't know if, I mean, there's, there's, there's actual porn, Holocaust porn, not just like people call about ruined porn, but there's actual Holocaust porn, which is really interesting, which is like, um, there's a really famous one from the 70s called like Elsie or something, you know this one? Yeah. You know yes, the program. Yeah. yeah. As like a Nazi, Nazi guard, she has sex with the, with, the, with the prisoners, and then she castrates them afterwards. And it turns out because they can't please her, but then an American comes to the camp and he can please her because he can just keep fucking forever. And then she, he wins the war. <laughs> it's brilliant. I mean, that's like lays it all, that's lays it all bare right there. That's how we see ourselves. <laughs> so that's the genre I'm interested in. I'm sure nobody wants to hear me continue talking about this topic, so if you have any other questions, uh, what are you guys interested in in San Diego? <laughs> I should stop revealing them. <laughs> what are you guys interested in? We can't, we can't, we can't go that way. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> we can't tell you that. You can't turn the fourth wall or the third wall. They might never terrify. Could you talk about translation just briefly? Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, what, why, why, do you, why do you translate? Why should everyone translate? Or what do you tra- translate? Okay, I translate a lot of stuff from Swedish and Finland uh, Swedish. And now I love this young Danish poet Olga Ron, so I'm going to try to translate her book. That's like the best book I've read in decades or centuries. But I, it, um, I get questions a lot about this, um, and there's a lot of long answers. But in short, I'll say a lot of Americans feel troubled by translation. Like, it's not your voice, it's not your true voice, whatever. My basic feeling about translation is that I always just did it because you have to if you're not an American. You're always translating. I always translated being a kid. I mean, even before I moved to the U.S., I was translating stuff. Uh, so I was always doing it to me. It was never that strange. And then in the 90s in particular, when I was like maturing as a young poet, I was really bored by U.S. poetry. And luckily, I found a few Swedish poets that I liked. I was, I'm still, I mean, I'm not a nationalist, and I don't like most Swedish poetry, but there were like a few Swedish poets that I really love, including Osa Bay, who I translated mostly. And for me, like Osa's poetry, uh, I've published a few books, if you're interested, you could check her out, With Fear, Dark Matter, and Transfer Fat, The Mainland. Her poetry came like in a moment where I felt like I was really excited about poetry when I was in high school and junior high, and I went to college, and then I went to college, and I learned that I had really bad taste, and I was just, I, was, I, I did not have good taste. Mm-hmm. It was bad poetry that I liked. It was sensationalistic and over the top, and just like lacked proper taste. And I learned this from the like personal narrative poets, and I learned from Marjorie Perloff, I learned it from every corner that I, that I did, and I stopped writing. But I actually kind of refound my, my, my way to put it through Osa's poetry, which was so tasteless and over the top, that people ask me, oh, you must have spent years translating Osa's poetry, and I feel like that's like the least I can do. Uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's one answer. Another answer is, like, while I've always, well, always been translating, I think it's also really just useful to do to your brain uh, to have to go between languages. Like when I teach, I always have my students translate and it messes with their brains and they're writing in a really good, interesting way, usually. Um, and also, we don't have a lot of translated poetry in the U.S. We don't publish a lot, or we haven't been until very recently. Uh, and I feel that that should be done. But main, I, I like that line of argument because it makes me feel moral and ethical. But really, I'm just doing because I like most. Like I find a lot of interesting stuff in other languages, and I want to like share them with my friends. So I think it's good. And like, I love Korean poetry. So I'm always trying to get people to translate all Korean poetry, and then I publish it. And I wonder real quick if you could give us um, sort of just an insight as to how. Uh, you did your MFA at the Iowa, Iowa Writers' Workshop, and I was curious either you, if you could speak about that experience. I've had mixed reviews of, of that degree there. Um, I've, and just if you could speak about the MFA or your experience with it as well. Yeah. Um, there are other people in this room who are as well. I'm not the only one But, uh, yeah, I, you know, someone said something was good, and that uh, when I was there, uh, there was a real sense that poetry lets all that mattered in the world. 
like totally, I would say total high. But it felt good to be 25. I think that poetry is all the thing that matters. But then there's other problems, you know. It was, it was kind of insular and very hierarchical. And, and uh, so, but uh, I got a lot out of it. I met interesting people. And uh, and I was, I just went insane for a couple of years and wrote. Um, you mentioned that place is important for you, so I was wondering, do you see yourself as a writer from Sweden, or the United States, or do you just not care at all? Um, I, I think I see, I think that how I referred to genre before also uh, applies there. I think people love to see themselves as nomadic, nomadic, whatever, like above it all, but that's not true. I mean, I'm definitely a writer of, I'm, I'm a writer of Swedish and also American. Um, one of the things that's interesting to me about the translation is we like to think of ourselves as like in a global village, we all move above language, but the fact that we go through language, and it's a violent, that's a violent act to go through language. You can see it in how you get attacked when you move through languages by people, or you can feel it in the language as you translate, there's violence going on. Um, and I'm really interested in, like I'm interested in genre, I'm interested in that collision of language and interesting things happen and sometimes it's terrifying you know just ask the prisoners in Abu Ghraib they can be bad times but also interesting things happen so um, because I see myself as a writer I want to be a writer of place I don't want to be a writer who escapes into the either I want because I'm interested in what, the, what what happens to the body when it's in media I'm interested in what happens to the body and in texts when they go through languages um, yeah. Is uh, South Bend a place that is that you're writing from? At totally, yeah. South Bend is where I live now, and it's really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's it's a rust belt, and it's like totally toxic and impoverished and strange, and um, I, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm a bad tourist in society. I'm just like. Should not leave my home at South Bend. I've lived there for several years, and I'm still weirded out when I walk around. Strange. Though, really, if people are interested in South Bend, should read my wife, Joe McSweeney's new book, uh, South Salamandrine, which is all about like South Bend, South Bend Gothic. <laughs> <laughs> and my last question. Yeah, uh, <laughs> more about Holocaust porn. Hold <laughs> on, well, no, I just kind of on the language questions again. Like, how do you feel that, like, if, if you come across quotes that only speak one language, how do you feel that shapes their perception of just what they're taking in uh, when it comes to media and stuff like that? Like, you mean how does like maybe translation or bilingualism yeah. have an effect? Uh, I think it does. Nothing as easy as if you're bilingual, you're better powerful. Uh, that it might help because you might have access to more writing. Um, but I think there is a different attitude. Like, one thing I did remember realizing first at Iowa was I thought, first I was like, oh, this, like, there's several poets, and like, oh, they did consider good by the teachers, and they were really bad poets. How did they realize it? But then I realized that they thought, that was enough. I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I feel like a kind of trust in language is gone. I don't have a trust in language. Like some people feel like, I'm going to name that flower. I'm going to name that tree. 
I don't have that. I don't have that trust. And even though my I, my family is is uh, famous, Texan, my college's family is uh, naturalists. I should believe in it, but um, uh, I don't. I feel like there's a kind you can right. You can t kind of tell these um, writers when they have more trust in language, I think, than I do. That's a generalizing huge shit, but I think that is one key. Um, it's interesting because Timaj and I were talking about Inger Christensen, a great Danish poet. His poems are, his poem alphabet is seemingly so simple, it's just like apricots exist. Uh, everything just exists. That's basically the only part of it. But to me, that feels like a definitely a poem that we're always different languages and the world keeps kind of pressing into the language. So it seems that it's not as if it's not as if I'm saying complexity versus simplicity. Often you know it can be it can be totally the reverse, but I'm failing to answer your question. <laughs>